NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Well, welcome, everybody. I'm excited to see you all here. I'm Katie Klein. I direct the Greater Kansas City Writing Project, um, and we're housed at the University of Central Missouri. So tonight's ghost story program, uh, it emerges from our one of our most exciting and rewarding programs, which is the Kansas City Storytellers. Uh, Casey Storytellers brings together students from diverse high schools um, all over Kansas City to help build a better, less racist community by sharing our stories with each other. Um, for me, I'm excited about tonight because there is no better story to hear around a campfire than a good ghost story. And I know we have several uh, to share with you tonight. So I'm gonna turn it over to Jamie and Mary Beth who've helped lead our Casey Storytellers program for the past several years. Yeah, hi everybody, I'm Jamie Mayo and I am um, a, a, the librarian who is working as part of this, but also a storyteller. And so I work for the Kansas City Public Library and, and then tell stories whenever I get the chance and help other people tell their stories. And I've been a part of the, the Casey Storytellers for the last four years. Hey, my name is Mary Beth Rich and I am a high school English teacher at Lee Summit West High School. I'm also a member of the Greater Kansas City Writing Project and I have been helping with the Casey Storytellers also for the last four years. And we are excited for you to be able to hear our storytellers tonight. And so our very first storyteller of the evening is Pataraji. Hello. Uh, my name is Taraji Millsap. I am a junior. I'm 16 and I go to the Kaufman School. Um, and I've been in Casey Storytellers for a while now and I'm really excited to do this. My story does not have a title. Um, it's just a spooky story, I guess. Draven had hoped with her he would find something. With them gone, she was all he had to go off of. He'd given up hope of anyone returning, so he let himself wander, the part of himself that knew where she was. It was unlike what he was supposed to be. He wasn't supposed to wander. Everlasting hope or everlasting hatred, those were his choices. By wandering, he had initially thought he'd gone from hope to hatred, but knowing her, he now had a bit of both and also knew he had neither. She loved scary stories, and he loved to tell her his, never hinting that she was, in a way, a part of it. That would be a bit too scary for this girl, his friend, Lorna. Her name made him angry at first because it vaguely reminded him of his mother, Loretta. Even as the anger faded, the similarity of the name still haunted him. And the anger did fade as he got to know her better. He watched from afar at first, but soon discovered that she could see him, past the anger and lost hope, past the seeming invisibility in a world that never seemed to want him. So they grew to be friends, and the anger faded, mostly. They would pass by the hospital sometimes while downtown, and he would tell her the story again, the story of the evil doctor who stole a little boy. And she would listen attentively every time, and he would almost forget how real it had been. But sometimes he would remember, and he would feel the lashes and the spittle on his face as the man screamed at him. And he would look at her 
and her pale skin and all he would be able to think, no, he wouldn't think. All he would be able to feel was hatred. But then the moment would pass and they would walk and talk about other things. Until one night, he told the story again. The one about the white doctor that infiltrated the Wheatley Provident Hospital, the first black owned and operated hospital in Kansas City. The one about the white doctor who was a KKK member and used his position to hurt black women and children. The one about the white doctor who went too far and ripped a twin boy from his mother's womb. The one about the evil man who kept that baby boy as a slave for the rest of both of their lives. The one about the white doctor who tried to burn down the hospital once people found out his practices were less than humane. The one about the evil doctor who was found dead in the Mississippi River. The one about the malnourished boy beaten black and blue and found dead in the evil doctor's house a month later. And the one about the little boy's soul that waited for countless years at the hospital for his mother and brother, not knowing that their souls had moved on without him, that he was alone in the world. But this time when Draven came to the usual end of the story, he looked at her pale face and the cold, hard blue of her eyes. She had those eyes, the same that had looked before with such disgust and hatred. The eyes peered into his soul and opened the doors for something restless within him. He added a new ending to the story. The story that now ended with the boy's soul moving on to haunt the descendant of the evil doctor. She laughed, she accused him of lying, she looked disappointed. He felt it boiling up through the shadow of his veins, through the hint of a full body, the anger, the indignance, the hatred. So he took her to the hospital. The second his soul got a scent of the place, it all came rushing back. The connection was unreal. Every crawl of every roach was like an itch on a back he could not physically touch, let alone scratch. Every spin of a spider's web was a knot in his throat, but he pushed her past the worst parts of himself and up to his heart, the room. The room where he had sunken in the bed, moaning and wailing for a life that could have been, cursing and raging at the evil that stripped him of his future. He'd forgotten she was there until she asked him where they were. Her voice had changed, but so had he. She stepped ahead of him, perhaps hoping to keep herself from truly seeing him. He whispered to her, but it echoed through his body, through the hospital, through the room, through his shell. He told her this was where it happened. She asked about the baby and he could hear the chills roll down her spine, unlike the one she usually got. He said his name, the doctor's name, her grandfather's name. He could tell she'd begun crying even while standing behind her. The anger was gone. It had cooled completely. The restless burning heat was gone and he looked at her in front of him, frozen with fear and the awful realization. And when Draven looked at her, he didn't see him anymore. She asked once more about the baby. He slipped the shadow of his hand into hers, though she would surely recognize by now that it wasn't real. And maybe she would finally believe his story. He doubted he would stay with her much longer now, but he had this moment with his friend, with Lorna. But before the final moment could commence, he had to tell her plainly for his sake. So when she asked about the baby, he simply replied, me. Thank you. Thank you so much for that story. Great job. Our next performer tonight is Maya. Okay. Hi, I'm Maya Wood and I go to Olathe West. I'm a senior there and I've been involved in Casey Storytellers for just last year. Okay. Mine doesn't have a title, so. The night you leave, there is nothing in the yard. 
No trees, no shrubs, absolutely no flowers. Just patchy grass and a bike that has seen better days than these. The sky is heavy and dark, and there is a stillness to the air. It feels like the world is waiting. You jog down the steps, your hands clenched. You might hear yelling behind you, a jagged version of your name, but you aren't sure. You keep walking, and not once do you turn around and look back. It's months later when you drive by, and you almost crash your bike when you catch sight of it. There's a tree, full grown in the yard. It's tall and its trunk is thicker than your waist. It has all its leaves despite the season. You stop, your feet skidding along the pavement. There's an ache in you. Your feet feel like they're sinking. Your eyes seem to blister. You drop the bike and run. Out of curiosity, you come back. You have a hoodie on because of the cold and your lips are trembling. You intend to walk to the door, maybe knock, maybe sit on the stoop and cry. But when you catch sight of the house, you freeze. There are four trees in the yard. They twist and turn towards the house. The yard is scattered with leaves, having fallen into lush grasses. You swallow. And then you catch sight of something caught in one of the trees. Your bike. Bright blue is lodged in the branches of one. Hey, you turn. There they are, tall, beautiful as ever. You take a step towards them. But then, there is something there. Something green is sneaking through one of their eyes. It's like a parasite. They are walking closer. Your lips are no longer trembling. Your cheeks heat. The hoodie feels unbearable. I missed you, they say. But you run. They have never told you that they missed you, only that they miss you. Something is happening. A week later, you pull up, this time with a friend. Their, call, their car is small, sensible. When they pull into the gravelly driveway, you leap out, and your heart is beating so hard it hurts. There's a forest. Full, thick trees cover the entire yard, long grasses as long as your knee is between them. And, you notice with horror, there are more bikes in the trees. Is that a skateboard, your friend asks, and you start. You hadn't noticed them get out of the car. You peer up at where they're pointing, and there it is, a skateboard. And you find you recognize it. It's the black skateboard of a friend of yours. Oh, you say. There is a whisper behind you. You turn, and your friend is gone. There is no car either. You stare at the spot where they were, your heart pounding. Then you walk through the grasses to the front door. A man passes by. He is in his red truck, his music up loud, and his hand tapping the wheel in rhythm. Then he looks to the right and he swerves. He curses, the words shaking in his mouth. He takes his old phone and dials a number. Yeah, he says, there's a car and a person in a tree. Please come quick, there's blood in. The phone cuts out. His truck begins to rise. There is a whisper. You are in the house. There is no furniture anymore, only mounds of vines and grasses, tree roots sprawling across every inch of the floor. You are so frightened. You think you hear music for just a moment, but then it cuts off. There is no sound in the house, all but a sweet hum. Branches seep through the walls like liquid and you gag at the sight. Something is happening. There are two policemen outside. They have guns in their hands, frowns on their faces. They speak to each other. One holds up a radio and he says, two bodies in the trees. Two? The radio crackles. Yeah, the policeman says. Two cars, too. And bikes, the other policeman says. And bikes. There's a whisper. The radio cuts off and all that is left is a hum. Hello, the radio voices. There's a silence, thick and sweet. And then, four bodies. And then, nothing. You see steps. They're made of branches, green liquid shining from within the cracks of the wood. It looks like what you saw in their eyes. Smooth and parasitic, green like apples with worms. Green like spring come too early, too quiet. 
You walk up the steps. It gets warmer and warmer with each step upwards, and you shed your jacket. And then your shirt, leaving your undershirt. Sweat rolls down your temples. You can feel, you can feel your hair matting from the heat. Hello, you say? There is a moment of nothing, and then a hum. The police report doesn't say much, as most of them don't. Seven bodies were found, two police officers, a man, a friend, and two lost lovers. The last body is identified. It's humanoid, but the blood is green and sticky. The house does not die. There is yellow tape surrounding it now. It has stopped humming since then, but most of the houses on the block have been abandoned. But one day, there is a teenager. They climb the fence, cut their tape, cut the tape, and turn on the flashlight of their phone. The house smells sweet, they notice. Hello, they say. There is a rustle. There is a hum. And then seven figures rise from the roots. Their skin is pale and their eyes are a rolling green. The teenager tries to scream, tries to run. They make it to the door, but then they trip on a root. Their phone goes flying out into the yard. And so joins the eighth. They are still there, people say. Still growing. Still humming. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us tonight. Our next performer is Chi-Chi. Um, my name is Chi-Chi Chandu. I am 16, but it'll be some at West. This is my first year doing the whole um, making a story thing for this. And um, my story is called Movie Night. Her head hurt and it felt cold. Those were the only things Romy could think of as she woke up. Throwing her sheets off, she made her way to the living room and almost sat on the couch, but instead she paused. Looking around the room in confusion, a thought entered her mind. Is this really my house? She glanced at the couch that was decorated with the old worn down blanket her mother bought. She looked at the carpet stain that she created when she was younger. It was definitely her house, but something felt off. She sighed. It was probably because of the coolness. Her air conditioner had been broken for a while. Romy sat down on the couch and turned on the TV. It was some old horror movie she didn't know the name of. Settling down, she wrapped the blanket around herself and smiled. A movie night wasn't on her schedule, but relaxing every now and then never hurt anyone. The main character in the movie woke, had woken up in a small, cold space, a freezer, she eventually realized. Her breath was visible and it was hard to move. Getting up, she banged on the walls. Somebody, help, please help me. Romy startled as pain suddenly shut off her hands. The main character kept banging on the walls. Somebody, please, she yelled, her voice scratchy. Romy's throat felt cold and sore. The main character fell to the icy floor, tears rolling down her face. Is anyone out there? Tear the tears were cold on her cheeks as Romy wiped them off. She let go of her blanket and stood up shakily, eyes wide and unseeing. She made her way to the door of the living room and tried to open it, except she couldn't grab the doorknob. Her hand just phased right through it. All too quickly, her wooden walls turned to metal and the sharp edge of the locked door cut through the brittle skin of her palm. That's right, she reminded herself. There was no movie. There was no warm blanket. Only her in this cold, dark place. She sat down dejectedly. She was so tired and cold. The silence was almost too loud. She felt her eyes close again as she slipped into her dream, her paradise. She looked up at the TV only to see that it was now static. Shoving herself away from the couch, she tried to leave the house. She got to the front 
She got to the front door and opened it, only to see the TV and couch from the other side. Her heartbeat picked up. She didn't want this to be the end. She didn't want to die like this. She tried opening the doors to any any room, but every time, unfailingly, she was led back to the living room. A sob escaped her throat when she tried to open another door. Instead of turning the doorknob, her blue fingers came off the snap. Her, she collapsed into the middle ground and tried to breathe again, but the cold air was choking her, and her heartbeat was the only thing she could hear. Sorry. She felt bowel rise in her throat and tears filled in her eyes as she looked back to the movie. She was alone in the cold, dark freezer, eyes glossed over, ice forming on her skin, all but dead. If her life were a movie, maybe she could save in the end. If her life were a movie, maybe she'd be alive. If her life were a movie, maybe her mother would come to retrieve her. Oh, yeah. Her mom, Romy let out a humorless laugh. If this were a movie, maybe her mom would have thrown her in here. Thank you so much. What a wonderful story. And our next performer tonight is Kyler. All right, we can all hear me, right? Perfect. So my story is called, There is Nothing to be Scared of. There is nothing to be scared of in your own home. That's what my mom had told me before heading off for her week-long business trip, and it was my job to house it until she came back, and even if I was a little paranoid to be alone in the house, she was right. There was nothing to be scared of in my own home. Funny how changing is to was completely changes the meaning of the sentence. <laughs> I wish those statements had been true, <laughs> being alone and being safe, but I've come to realize that I'm, I'm neither. <laughs> I can feel eyes on me. I don't even need to turn around to confirm it, not that I'd be able to. He, it, is too good at hiding. But I know he's there, watching, waiting. You guys probably think I'm crazy. You can see the hallway behind me and there's no one there. But that's because he's never staying in one place for too long. But he's there, watching and waiting. I can feel him on me. And I can feel the suffocating pulse of my heartbeat in my throat and my chest. It feels like it's seizing up. <laughs> And I want to sob, I want to wail, but I'm still as a statue in comparison because I don't want to dare to make a move. He's right there, he's kneeling as he watches me and that sound, the sound of chewing, the sound of grinding teeth and swallowing the, the hot labored breath and the smell of rot and decay. I'm trapped and there's no escape. I can't find any even in myself to cry out because the thought of death scares me so, so much. And it's hell, the waiting. <laughs> and I want someone to find me. God, I want someone to find me, but they won't. Not for a few days at least, but right now I'm stuck here. And maybe this could have been avoided. It probably could have been, but I don't know what I could have done. And I curse myself for not of realizing, but it's too late. I don't even know what I could have done in the first place. I always just thought it was rats. The scratching sound, the smells, the creaking above my bed, the basement door being left open, the sights, the smells, the odd stains, but it was never rats, it was never rats, it was him. And I don't understand why now, why now did he do this? Maybe it's because he was hungry, maybe it's because I saw something I wasn't supposed to see. But for weeks now I felt his gaze down from that hallway. I'll be in class, I'll be in my classes, and I'll be talking to my teachers over the screen, and I'll have to look over my shoulder because he's there. I know he's there and he's watching me. God, why can't I have just stay put? Why did I have to get curious? Why? Why did I have to stumble on his meats? Meats, that's not even the right word for them, they're corpses. And 
I can feel the bile start in the back of my throat, overwhelm and nausea taking me, and I just, I can't think of them like that. Meets the corpses, the cats, the dogs, the neighbor's pets, and worst of all, a mother and a child, and <laughs> rotting corpses that were shoved behind the boiler, and they were so close I never even noticed, I never even noticed, and they were so close. But now it's too late, because he's here. I mean, I, you, you know, he, he must have caught me because otherwise he's just playing a little game with me. I'm just praying for him to stalk. I'm just livestock waiting to be preyed upon by an angry wolf like sheep. <laughs> All I am, waiting, waiting for death. And I realize in stark horror that as tears fall down my cheeks, that the finger that reaches out to wipe off the tear is that of my mother's. My mother's severed arm that he's chewing on next to me, biting into, swallowing the sound, disgusting, and my mom who never even got to leave for the airport in the first place. I just want this to be over. I never wanted to die. I didn't want to end up like this, but if this is my fate, then let it be over now. Don't make me wait longer. Thank you all so much for sharing your stories with us tonight. You guys did amazing jobs and we loved hearing them. So another snap for our performers tonight. You guys tell some creepy stories. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. And yes, we know some of you have to run off and do things. So we appreciate you being here and sharing your scary stories with us. No one is yes. going to sleep tonight. Have a good evening. Yeah, thank you all. <laughs> all right, so welcome to Stories Around the Campfire. And uh, Mary Beth and I have some, some more information to give you about uh, using storytelling, excuse me, ghost storytelling in your classrooms or your groups that you work with or for yourself, any of that kind of thing. Um, and so for the next slide, here again are the performers that we had with us earlier tonight. Tarji Millsap, uh, Maya Swanwood, Chichi Echenindu, and Kyler Gare. And um, all four of them took uh, different prompts that we had, write a ghost story essentially, and, and they shared those with us uh, tonight, the ones that they created. Uh, next slide. So, when you say ghost story, what exactly do you mean? And for me, there's a whole range. It could be also called scary story, spooky story, creepy story. Um, for me, not all ghost stories have ghosts in them, but they are creepy. Or they might have a ghost in them and they might be funny. So the scare factor ranges, um, sometimes from not at all, all the way up to horror, uh, which is way outside my comfort zone. Um, but basically, a ghost story for me just means anything that's kind of outside our everyday normal reality. Um, you could think of it as imagination versus fact. Um, supernatural elements could be plain old ghost. Um, unexplained events. Uh, urban legends uh, also get thrown into this category and, and they're interesting and we'll, we'll come and talk a bit more about those as well. So next slide. 
Um, why would you want to tell ghost stories, especially when you're working with kids and teens? Um, on the lower end, you don't want to get super scary, but I don't know, kids and teens cannot resist a ghost story. So it's a fantastic way to engage them. And sometimes it almost feels like a backdoor thing. It's like, ah, let's do a history lesson. Let's do ghost stories. I mean, what kid is going to avoid that? Um, but it is a great way to pull in um, getting kids engaged in research, learning more about their town. Um, descriptive details and that kind of thing will really get you into, into your writing more. So it's great. It's just a great way to get kids interested in writing and telling stories. And let's see. I think that's about it for that one. Um, yeah, well, another, well, let me just, I'll hit that again. Uh, some other things, just, it's, it's a great way to create a communal experience. If you think about it, um, even if it's a metaphorical fire, uh, you've got everyone ar around this object and you've got somebody telling stories and telling stories is the way that we have always communicated with each other. If they're spooky, they're bringing everybody even closer together. So they have that, um, they have that benefit as well. Um, one of the reasons that, that ghost stories are so powerful is that they help us deal with fears and, and kids might have a lot of fears. And then if you tell them a ghost story, all of a sudden, normal reality doesn't feel quite so scary. It's also, it, it, uh, ghost stories, um, they're metaphorical for the human condition. Um, they make us go into the extremes of emotions. So those are some of the reasons that ghost stories uh, have such an appeal for kids and teens and adults. Now we'll take that next slide. All right, so. What exactly makes for a good ghost story? Um, one of, one of the, the main things is sensory detail. And most of us think about the five senses. And then we hear about that sixth sense every once in a while. Um, but actually, I've been working with a storytelling coach. And he has identified 15. Oh, no, actually, he identified 12. And then I'm like, I think these three might also fit in here. So in addition to the, the big five, sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch, which are wonderful to weave into a ghost story to make it that much more spooky, um, such things, uh, sensory things as time. You can make that time really stretch out or you can make it go really, really quickly and it impacts the experience that the listener is having. Uh, touch, of course, if you have something crawling across your skin or you feel that tingle down your spine. Um, those are kind of touch elements that you can throw in. Um, pain, of course, and we had that from several, several of our, our, our tellers just now, the pain. Um, just describing that can make it a very real visceral experience for the listeners. Um, hunger. Um, is another one of our senses that can fit well in a ghost story. Suffocation um, obviously can be used to great effect. Uh, movement, balance, emotion, all of those, just really hitting the details of that can make a story come to life. Um, so 
Um, other things that, that are important in a ghost story, um, some of the most effective ghost stories are ones that don't seem that different from real life. And then there's that weird thing. Um, so sometimes you might hear it, oh, I, I heard this story from uh, my, my, I think it came from my great grandmother's uh, best friend's sister. And it happened in their little town. Um, and now you're, you're making it sound more and more real. And that's where some of the, the fear factor comes in. Um, one of the things to make sure is that your ghost story needs to make sense. And if, you, if you'll think back to some of the stories that you just heard, the, the one in the hospital, it's like, why is that ghost haunting that girl? And the sense is right there. It's, it's very logical in there. So ghost stories really need to make sense to, to be effective. Um, uh, you can throw in a jump. There's a, there's a specific genre called a jump tale. So if you get to the end, like uh, I, you may be familiar with the story of the golden arm. At the end of that, effectively, there is a jump. Almost, almost every teller will tell it with a jump. And it's really fun to watch uh, the listeners who are so engrossed in the story jump. Um, so uh, scary locations, of course. And we heard about the hospital. We heard about that house that had trees that just grew up overnight. And we heard about the house that somebody lived in that was infiltrated by something else. Um, weather disturbances are another, um, another thing to throw in. The full moon uh, always seems to be an appropriate thing to throw into a ghost story. Um, menacing clouds, lightning strikes, those kinds of things really add to the atmosphere and really set in concrete the story that you're telling. Um, some of the things that a ghost might do in a story are make noise, they've come back because something, an injustice has happened. So all of these elements are things that can make a ghost story um, that much more powerful. So next slide. So now we would like to provide you with some ways that maybe you could use um, ghost storytelling in your own classroom. Next. So here are ways in which you can start your story. Um, a great idea is to print off pictures of local places in your area. So for example, in Kansas City, we have a lot of historic homes that we could print off and bring in. Um, there's the World War I Museum or Union Station. And so you would compile these different pictures and then people can look through the photos and brainstorm different storylines where you can encourage um, other people to bring in pictures from their community and they can all spread them out on a table or you could put them in a media album and then the whole idea is pick a picture and create a storyline to go with that picture. Another thing that you could do with the pictures is to do a timed writing. So maybe you set a timer and you say you have five minutes to create just a basic plot line to the story. What do you want? Who would the characters be? Um, what would that conflict be? 
what's like that rising action to build your story. And one last idea that you could do to kind of start the story off is to create an oral group story. So you would group people together, you would have your group pick one photo, and then one person starts out by saying one sentence. And then you go around in the circle and that other person adds on. Maybe it's a sensory detail to that story. And you keep going around and around until you have, <coughs> sorry, a pretty good story. <coughs> sorry. Next. All right, so how do you build your story? Um, we've, talk, we've talked about the pictures, the photos of a town, and the photos, of course, are a documentation of history at a certain time. Uh, another way to, to start to build a story is to interview people that you know in town or um, that somebody has a connection to that they can connect, whoever is wanting to build the story to. Um, the local library, do not forget your local library. They have all kinds of resources and a lot of them have um, a historical archive component as well. And so they can be a great resource. Um, there are historical societies, museums, and they often put out publications on a, you know, a quarterly basis or that kind of thing. And they can be a rich resource for stories. Um, newspaper archives, of course. And, and there's, there's um, when we looked into our archives, we have stories of ghost sightings, people who swear that they have seen the ghost in a certain location. Um, but there are also incidents that have happened that if you think back to the, the elements that we talked about in a good ghost story, and, and uh, the stories of an injustice or a weird occurrence, Nobody may have seen any ghost based on that, um, but they might if you write the story. So next slide. All right, now that you have gathered all of the information, here are just, sorry, <clears throat> here are just some ways for you to kind of finalize that story. So you've had your story starter, you've done some research, and now you're ready to put your story together and you could create an oral story where you're going to perform this story for a group of people. You could also create a story in which you're writing it down. Maybe you want to publish that story on like a web page. You could also create a digital ver video story, which is a really cool idea where you would have pictures that you would collect that would enhance your story. And so as you told your story, those pictures would be in the background. And it just helps your um, viewer picture what you're trying to say. And then a last idea for your story is that you could create a dramatic script. And this could be done by yourself and creating a monologue, or you could work together with a group of people and create characters and that setting. But all of these different ways are great ways for you to tell your story um, for an audience.
Okay, next slide. So sharing a story, uh, we're going over some of the same ground that we just covered, but I uh, just wanted to emphasize the importance of thinking about different ways to engage um, young people that you might be working with. Um, how, there, are, there are kids that may not read that well or may be English language learners. Um, and, and the oral storytelling may be the thing that can help them shine. Um, and then there are just natural actors. We saw, we saw one earlier <laughs> um, in Kyler when they presented their story. Um, it's a good way, uh, you know, some people then are not so comfortable in, re in, in trying to memorize a story or to remember the flow of a story. And so they might feel more comfortable just reading what they've written. But the main thing is, how can you best highlight the um, the shine of, of whomever it is that is being engaged. So it could just be a whole potpourri of ways of presenting story in one big festival, even if you wanted to do that. Um, next slide. And lastly, we wanted to share different ways uh, in which you can reflect on your story because the reflection process is an important part about being a storyteller or crafting any story actually. And so here are different ways in which this you can reflect. Um, first, you could identify different elements in the story that were research-based. You could also have people look at the artistic choices or we like to call them those author's moves. What did the writer do in order to build their ghost story? Where do we see them using those sensory details or maybe that jump ending that makes a good ghost story? A fun way to reflect on the story could also be as a game. You could have students share like two things that are true and a lie about it and um, people have to guess. Um, lastly is you could also have people give feedback on what worked in the story. So what did this storyteller do really well? Um, where do we see those elements of the ghost story coming out? And those are just fun ways for the writer to kind of see and reflect on the process of storytelling. And one of the things I like about the, the two truths and a lie is it, it can help uh, students understand that they don't want to get so attached to the facts of a story that they can't get the story written. Um, and I, I have done that so many times to feel constrained. And that's one of the places I think that urban legends come in really handy because they're, they're a lot of times they're just little snippets of stories. And, um, and so um, students uh, have to build the story out from there. They, you can lead them through the backstory. Um, but when you're doing the research, it's like those facts are the things that make it come to life, but you don't want to get tangled up in it. So that can really help uh, kids start to understand that process. Um, these are also things that, that are good to do, not just at the end, although that's always handy, but as, as you're building the process, it's like that kind of feedback can really help people understand where their story is, is working and, um, and where they might build in some more tension. So 
Next slide. Um, all right, so we've put together some resources for you as well. And um, one, of, one of them is uh, the Kansas City Public Library had done a, a ghost story contest. Um, and our goal now is to take, um, to judge the, judge the stories we got in and the, the top story in each age category, then we're gonna create a, kind of a spooky video uh, rendition of it. Um, that'll be available for people to see. But we, we had some resources in there. Some of them are handouts that we'll be sharing with you here. Um, and you're welcome to go and look and see what is there as well. Uh, our archivist up in, in our uh, local history room had pulled together some of those ghost sighting stories and, and then had thrown in some questions and things. And so we were using those as prompts in case somebody didn't uh, couldn't spark, really wanted to participate, but couldn't spark. So that's there. Um, Casey Storytellers is a fabulous resource. Um, and we have a lot of the, the videos that uh, the students have done over the last two or three years available for people to, to go and see those as well. And that website is there, caseystorytellers.org. Um, so some of the other resources, um, I'll just talk about, um, briefly uh, created a handout called Resources for Finding and Creating Ghost Stories. It's kind of just, again, for, for more inspiration. Um, there are some websites listed on that that um, are for urban legends. And, and a couple of them are like the scariest, go the scariest urban legend from each state. And what's interesting is they aren't the same on both websites, so just saying. Um, Wikipedia also has, is a great resource. I'm pretty sure that's not a thing to tell teachers, but nonetheless, um, Wikipedia has um, a, a list of, it, it just has a whole urban legend page, and then a lot of them have links that you can click on. So it's an easy way to find some of these urban legends that can be good uh, fodder for students creating those stories. Um, threw in some audio from the old tiny stuff, which is not my favorite thing, but it, it works for some. Um, it has some of the atmospheric things and that can be something to look at. And then I, I uh, pulled links from a lot of YouTube videos of storytellers that I have been fortunate enough to see doing ghost stories. And partly that's just to show the range. Um, just to say the ghost with one black eye is, by, is something that a lot of storytellers actually tell. And so it could be interesting to have students look at like four or five different versions of that and, and see how that goes. Um, one of my favorite storytellers uh, who is in Lawrence, Kansas, not far from here is Priscilla Howe. And she's the one that I heard it from first. It can be a good way to teach them about how to make a story your own if you're gonna be doing a rendition of something else. Um, and, and it's also a good example of a really not scary story. It's actually uh, a very funny story with a nice ending. Uh, that's one of the other things that's great about ghost stories is for every one that we heard from our students, they nailed the ending. So there's something about ghost stories that just almost pull you to a really powerful ending. Um, and then, um, yeah, so there's that, so that handout just has a lot of different um, storytellers doing ghost stories. And again, the range is there. And those are, except for the, for the ghost with one black eye, there are videos of that, but the others are all video 
that one happened to be an audio in this rendition. Um, yeah, and then there's the, the handout about the sensory detail that I was um, going into. It goes into some more depth about that. And then there's some more information about um, what makes a good ghost story. So those are the, those are the resources that we have for you. And we are hopeful that you will be excited about sharing ghost stories and feel comfortable doing that with the, with the young people in your life that you work with. And if you're excited but not comfortable, here's our contact information. Please reach out. Yes. We'd like to add, I think the important part of hearing those performers is that it's important for students or anybody to hear the story and then that can generate some ideas as well. So thank you. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Thank you.